Welcome to Happiness 2.02 podcast. I'm your host, John Tuckums, founder, author, World Government Summit participant, and Forbes featured TEDx speaker, an inquisitive human who loves root knowledge. Happiness 2.02 is a mental health show for entrepreneurs that provides the full human cognition and the full breathing oxygen tools to rapidly shift states of mind and increase energy. Podcast guests include organization founders, world-renowned executives, MDs, PhDs, and remarkable leaders who have incredible stories and are helping billions of people to find their happiness oxygen. You're listening to Happiness 2.02. This is your host, John Tuckums. You're listening to episode one with Mark Metrier. Mark is a Forbes featured keynote speaker, the host of Humans 2.0 podcast, which is a global top 100 show that interviews world-class human beings and a best-selling author. While listening to this podcast, if anything stands out to you as thought-provoking or remarkable, take a screenshot and write down what you've heard from Mark. Post the insight on social media, text the idea to a friend, or email what you've learned to a family member. Get this information out there. Without further ado, episode one of Happiness 2.02 podcast with Mark Metry. So Mark, time as we know is a finite resource. Um, underlying everything that you do across your life, your book, your remarkable podcast, your speaking engagements, why do you do what you do? Only what drives you at your core? Yeah, John, this is, this is such an amazing question. And, you know, to be honest with you, you know, I don't really believe in passion <laughs> in the sense of, I, I definitely think that passion is a real thing, but I find that pain is really where your passion lies. That real primal sense of pain that whether it's you feel on a daily basis of being a human being and the ups and downs, or like I know for me, a big, big motivator of why I do what I do is because I don't want the 12-year-old version of myself and all the other millions, if not billions of people out there that were like me to go through what I did without the right information, without the right knowledge. And so, you know, I spend most of my beginning part of my life really trying to hide about who I was to the world, really trying to hide, not trying to share people my story. But yet today, that's like literally all I do. All I do is, or at least a big part of it, is go on podcasts and speak and talk about my story. And so that is really what, what drives me to my core, man. That's a great question. Yeah. And it was, was there a certain point in time, like really on your life, that it kind of is that, uh, uh, that trigger moment when you look back now, that's, that's the moment where I started... Uh, or I look back to now as the piece that I had the most intense pain. Was there a moment around that, whether it was with family or some kind of outside force that uh, when, you look, when you reflect back now, that really is that the core of that? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is that when I was about 18, 19 years old, I I fell down an even darker path in my life where, you know, the first the first section of my life I wasn't really living my true life. But yet, it wasn't that bad per se. But when I was 18, I really sort of began to feel the consequences, like the delayed consequences of our choices 10 years later. And I realized that that is no life to live. And for me, that looked like at one time being suicidal. At one time, that looked like I was socially isolating myself. At one time, that looked like I was obese, I was depressed. And so when I was about 18, I really made a, like a conscious choice to totally blow up my life 
and go 180 degrees. And, you know, for sure, there were many people that helped me. There were some trips that come to mind that were sort of signifying of that. But to be honest with you, it was, it took me reaching my version of rock bottom to finally sort of create a foundation to build my new life on top of, which was yeah. like five years ago today. Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely amazing. You know, so many people go through their entire life, never reaching that point. Uh, and you're able to achieve that at such an early age. Uh, when you look at that point in time, uh, if you want to go into a little bit more specifics, mm. uh, you, what was it a book that you read or was it some person that you spoke to or someone that you heard, uh, especially if you want to give a shout out to anybody that was incredibly instrumental at that period of time, knowing that there was probably, a, you know, several influences that were, were guiding you at that, at that stage, including a, an internal force inside you? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's a great question. So, um, you know, it was quite interesting. So when I was about 18, um, I really felt quite alienated. Um, I had already achieved a level of financial success and public success that mm -hmm. nobody really in my family or my friend group had achieved. And so there was definitely some part of me that honestly felt alienated, that I was totally different than everybody else in some bad ways and some good ways. And, uh, you know, some events, some things that come to mind are... Um, you know, when I was sort of at my rock bottom, one of the problems that I ran into was I couldn't fall asleep anymore at night. And so what I began to do was I began to walk around my city and I lived in Boston and I just began to walk around at night. And I remember on one of those nights, I listened to my first podcast episode ever. And uh, that podcast episode was from Tim Ferriss. And literally like the first podcast I ever listened to was Tim Ferriss talking about the time where when he was in college, he was also suicidal. And I remember listening to that while I was suicidal and in college. And I was like, wait, this guy now today, Tim Ferriss, super uber successful leader, doing a lot of great things. He was once in the same exact position as I was. Maybe I'm not totally messed up. Maybe there is still hope for me. And so that for me sort of had a, a glimmer of hope. Another big thing was during the summer, I ended up taking a, a trip with my family and we ended up going to Egypt, which is where uh, my parents are originally from. They came to America before I was born from Egypt. And I remember I went there and this was about like 2015, 2016, and Egypt was maybe, Egypt had just gotten out of a series of revolutions uh, triggered by the Arab Spring. Yep. And they really went through hell. And they had their governments, their dictators changed multiple times. There was one time where um, Islamic fundamentalists almost took over the country and were going to change all the laws. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was just real turmoil. And uh, it was sort of getting back on its feet. And I remember talking to my cousins and they were telling me, you know, we, we can't find jobs. Um, you know, there's all these problems here. And I remember like walking on the street and, and seeing like homeless people. And I remember just thinking to myself, like, wow, like my parents kind of left this country where they were from, where they had their family, their jobs, their degrees in college, all these different things. 
to just give me and my sister and, and our family a, a better life in hopes of just coming to America and creating more opportunity. And those were some of the pieces that really began to enable me to understand of like, what I have today is an insane opportunity. And like a lot of people say, like you did, for example, like it's so great that you found out about all these things that you talk about early on in your life. And I'm grateful for that. I definitely think part of me is kind of like an old soul. But I also think a big part of it is just because I've gotten here because other people before me have pushed their knowledge, have spread their knowledge, have written books, have created podcasts. And no doubt I would not be where I am if it wasn't for the billions of humans who have come before me. And when I understood that and I understood the opportunity I had and, and just quite frankly, the, the opportunity to scale any kind of message because of exponential technology, I really did realize like, wow, I literally have an opportunity that no other human being throughout human history has ever had. And so that for me was a massive, massive motivator. And when that happened, you know, at that time I was obese. And also at that time, I didn't really know much about like all these words that we talk about, like mindset, psychology, self-development. Yeah. I didn't even know these things were a thing. And for me, sort of the, the most, the biggest problem in my face was just physical reality. It was my physical appearance because that was all my perception had been calibrated to see. And so a big part of my journey too was just starting off and trying to figure out like, how do I lose weight? And I remember Googling this. <laughs> yeah. And for anyone else who's Googled this, you know that you know the, the health and wellness industry will hit you with 18 billion <laughs> different results on how to lose weight. Yeah. Try this diet, drink this detox shake, drink this, eat that, don't eat that, um, do intermittent fasting. No, you should eat six times a day, all these different things. And so I, I played around with that. I played around with many different forms of diets and I didn't really get far. And I remember... I basically had given up at this point where I was on like some random website and I remember seeing a Google advertisement for this thing called Bulletproof Coffee, yeah. which was this thing where you put butter in your coffee. And I remember when I saw that, I was like, man, this has got to be the dumbest, most idiotic thing I have ever heard in my entire life. How do, you, how do you put butter in your coffee that's so unhealthy, this, this, and that? But honestly, I was at a point where I was so lazy and I was so desperate to the point of like, I'm just going to try whatever. And I remember uh, adding it to my cart, buying it. A week later, I made this Bulletproof coffee and I remember maybe for the first time in my life, I, I felt a, uh, a sense of energy that I had never really felt before in my life. And I looked deeper into Bulletproof and I realized that it's not just this coffee. There's actually this thing called like a Bulletproof diet. Like the, yeah. it's a regiment, a way of eating. And I remember buying this book from this guy named Dave Asprey, who's the founder of Bulletproof. And that's really where I began to understand the more nuanced and the more detailed approach to what food actually is. You know, it's not just about calories. It's not just about carbs or protein. It's actually like when you eat food, it sends messages to your brain and to your entire body, to your gut microbiome. It controls your hormones. So many different things that have to do with 
your neurotransmitters, uh, your mood, uh, a lot of different things. And so I'm grateful enough to um, know Dave Asprey. I've had him twice on my podcast before. And so those were like big, big uh, jump kickstarts that really got me started on my journey. Yeah, absolutely amazing. So that that that's almost that exterior experience traveling to an entirely different country. Then you could look back upon you know your current life when you return back to America, and also almost having an, uh, an awakening of sorts in terms of knowledge, just amazing knowledge, you know, neuroscience, uh, biochemistry, etc. Through uh, you know through reading uh, Dave Asprey's book. What were some of the other pieces too, just surrounding that period of time? Uh, you know, really, you're you're at a at a, at a turning point. Uh, you know, did your yeah. voice grow as well? Did you find your breathing was shallower because you know you weren't out, you know, kind of you know talking with people as much? Uh, what are some of the other circumstances too, just around that period of time, um, as you're finding yeah. your voice, so to speak? Yeah, man. So it's so it's really interesting, right? So um, so a lot of people today know me for talking about shyness, social anxiety. And the really interesting part about all this, John, was before this, when I had just gotten to college when I was 18, and this was actually before I fell into my dark time, I actually found out for the first time that I had social anxiety, that I was shy. And the really interesting part about this was I tried to begin to tackle this problem beforehand. I had tried to go out there and not be shy anymore. I tried to to put myself forward and to not speak up. And the reality is, is that the problem actually got worse for me. I actually got way more stressed. Uh, I think my nervous system began to crash. And I think that's actually what led me to facing my version of rock bottom. And what happened was, I was only able to begin to work on my social anxiety and begin to work on my communication skills and my confidence after I had sort of fixed my biochemistry through nutrition, through sleep, through movement. Um, And for me, I didn't really discover breathing unless you want to talk about like meditation of kind of having that um, repeated breath loop of your breath. And, um, and and for me, the big thing was once I had began to work on my biochemistry and once I began to see my energy increase, I just began to look for more things to do. And, you know, food kind of triggered it, but then eventually, you know, I started to go for walks outside And then eventually I started to go for runs. And then now that I was sort of exercising properly and I was eating a healthy diet, then for like the first time in my life, I could actually sleep well. And when those things kind of began to click in, then I began to read more books. I began to pick up different kinds of habits. The big one for me, it was meditation. I remember discovering meditation through... Uh, just like the Headspace app that like everyone knows about today. And I remember just doing it for about two weeks. And I remember within those two weeks, it was almost as if my life had gotten exponentially worse. (laughs) I remember when I started meditating for those first two, three weeks, I literally thought my life was ending. And what I mean to describe by that is like, all of the things that I used to rely on when it comes to sort of my internal world, the beliefs, 
almost all of those were crashing down in front of me. And that has real, real world external implications. And, you know, I've talked about this with a lot of people, like, for example, uh, Emily Fletcher, the founder of Ziva Meditation. And she actually calls this the highlighter effect, where as you begin to meditate, as you begin to restructure the way your brain works in a more uh, fulfilled, healthier sense, your brain is going to automatically begin to highlight things that should not be in your life. And at this time, you know, I was just beginning to learn about self-development and my external world did not match, did not match happiness, did not match my goals on the inside of myself. And so I went through like this really interesting, like two, three week period where it literally felt like my life was getting so much worse. But then after that, and as I began to pick up other tools like uh, journaling, um, different things like uh, I began to get, then get into exposure to therapy, which leads me back to how I began to tackle shyness and social anxiety. And I found as I began to eat healthier, my energy was up. Now my brain was starting to function somewhat normally. Then I began to get really motivated to actually go out there and begin to tackle my social anxiety. And I remember even at that moment, when I was at that spot where I was beginning to get healthier, I remember I told myself, you know, hey, Mark, go outside today and try to talk to some strangers, uh, try to talk mm -hmm. to some people that you don't know so you can be less shy. And I remember at that time I tried to do that and I would just, oh man, it was so funny. I remember just like walking in the street yeah. and like in my head, I'd be like, okay, walk up to this person, talk to them, talk to them, talk to them. And that person would walk by and be like, oh, damn it. You know what? <laughs> I'll just talk to the next person. And then I, that kept on happening. Like, all right, I'm going to talk to this person. I'm going to talk to this person. I'm going to talk to this person. And then my brain, even though I was getting healthier, my brain would still hold me back. And you know, that's, this is because... I faced social anxiety for almost a decade of my yeah. life. You know, if you are in a problem, if you have this certain mental health problem for that long, it's going to take a lot more than a couple of tries and you may have to approach it from a different perspective. And so what I did was I kind of went back to my room and I was like, okay, this, this is not working. And I remember being discouraged for a little bit, but then going back to the drawing board and saying like, how can I get myself to do this? And I realized that, this concept of just walking up to someone and trying to tackle my fears and just trying to talk to a stranger was way too broad, was not narrow enough for my brain to handle. And, you know, it, people always talk about, it's always about taking one step at a time. Yep. And I think a big part of that is you have to approach it from at least first, the logical side, especially if you have been in a spot where you have felt that fear uh, a, a product of emotions has been dominating your life. And so all throughout my life, I had always let my emotions, I had always let my fears control my behavior. It was very illogical kind of when you look back at it. And so I realized, hey, if I have to do this, I can't go off of my emotions. I have to go off of logic. And so I kind of broke it down like a math problem. And I said, hey, I'm going to go outside today and I'm going to talk to five people and I'm just going to ask them what the time is. And I remember going out there and I think one, the first time I messed up, but then the second time I walked up to someone, I said, uh, you know, hey, excuse me, sir. I hate to bother you. Uh, can I ask you what the time is? 
And the guy looked at me. He realized I was like extremely nervous. I was like sweating yeah. uh, buckets. And he was like, yeah, it's, 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 it's 11.45. And I said, okay, thank you. And so basically <laughs> I did this on the streets of Boston. I did this like eventually when it was winter time, um, like in malls and indoor places. And what I would do is I'd ask people what the time is. And then eventually I would graduate from that. And I would ask people, Hey, do you know what the time is? And do you also know, you know, directions to get to this coffee shop or to get to like some very obvious spot that was like just down the street that I knew they knew where it was. Yeah. And then I graduated from that. And I asked, hey, do you know what the time is? Directions. And then eventually what I began to do was I tried to leave people compliments. And I said, hey, those are great shoes, by the way. Or hey, um, thank you for being so friendly to me and kind. And as I began to do that, I began to work my way up. And then eventually I was able to speak and uh, I was able to just randomly start conversations with people. I was able to uh, participate more in other kind of organizations and events that I was a part of. And through doing that, that was really where I was able to kind of set up this uh, biochemical runway that eventually enabled me to actually begin to conquer my fears. But before that, I, I tried to do it and it just did not work. And like in my book, that's why I start off like in one of the first like applicable chapters, I say that biochemistry is a great starting leverage point because it almost gives you that runway to then begin to work on, you know, your mindset, your belief system and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, absolutely amazing. Uh, I love the story and that, that biochemical runways uh, is just a, a phenomenal way to describe it. Uh, just before uh, we kind of talk a little bit more about the momentum that you've, uh, you're building, you're picking up, uh, just, uh, you know, sh sh the word shy, when you hear that now, knowing that that was probably one of the triggers that, you know, made it even worse for you because now we have a label on yeah. you, you have extra weight. What does that mean to you today? And how would you, like, if you could perhaps put it in a trash, like a trash bin, what would you do with that word today? <laughs> I'm so glad that, uh, that, that you asked this. And, uh, you know, we've talked about this off air and uh, I love your viewpoint on it. And, you know, the way that I describe it to people is this. So, you know, there's that whole conversation of like, are you introverted or are you extroverted? And when you actually look at like the psychology definition of that, an introvert is just someone who like the way that their brain works is it has a tendency to predominantly focus more on the internal thoughts, um, the internal world, be more introspective and gain energy from that. And so I was always an introvert growing up, but I was never shy. I was always, um, you know, I had a, a group of friends that I would hang out with. I um, definitely liked my alone time, but I definitely was social. I definitely loved talking to people. And for me, it really wasn't until people, whether it was like my teacher at parent-teacher conference or, 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 or other sort of adults, authority figures would begin to tell me, oh yeah, Mark is just a shy, quiet kid. And, you know, later on I began to develop social anxiety. And the reality behind that is shyness almost becomes this, um, this acceptable mask that someone can put on that actually sort of hides the issue and prevents the person themselves from realizing that it is an issue. 
And, you know, I think it's totally natural. It's totally okay to be shy every once in a while. It's a totally normal human emotion. However, being caught up in that pattern of shyness begins to become a mask, usually to hide some problem that has to do with some sort of a psychological trauma that somebody experienced. And so the really interesting part about this is like when I go speak at, at schools or high schools or when I used to before the COVID thing, um, I would see kids, I would see people and, and even, even like at corporations too, I would see people and I could immediately tell that they have been labeled shy. They have been told that they're this and that and they have social anxiety. And so I think that when it comes to sort of these labels, they can both be good and bad. Good in the sense of, so for example, when I was 18 and I, um, and I actually realized that I had social anxiety, that became a, a great liberator. That actually gave me a lot of power. Why? Because throughout my entire life, when I had just gone on, I had no idea I had social anxiety. Mm -hmm. And whenever I tried to speak to someone, my brain, my nervous system would stop me. And because of that, I just thought that there was just something wrong with me. I thought I was born as some sort of a moral failure. Uh, I would never, I, I was sort of broken. I would never be able to, to get fixed or, or healed or anything like that. And so when I found out that social anxiety is actually a real thing, that gave me a lot of power because it began to kind of build the perceptual framework in my head of rather than looking at myself like a like some sort of a broken product that is just somehow flawed in some obscure way that I didn't know, I began to realize like, no, social anxiety is like this real scientific phenomenon. And when I had that understanding, then I really began to look at it as more or less like a science project where I could begin to change things. I could begin to experiment with things. Mm -hmm. I could begin to put in, you know, X plus Y, you know, might give me Z or it might give me a different output. And that really sort of gave me the the foundation to experiment on. But but yeah, and honestly, like ever since I've been talking and my book came out, the amount of people that I have heard, whether it's parents that like have podcasts themselves or they're just friends of mine that tell me that their kid has been labeled shy, honestly just breaks my heart because the reality is, is, you know, society says that the person who is sitting alone at the lunch table or the person who is sitting alone at the library is doing so because he or she is a shy introvert. And yep. like that, that may be true, who knows? But the reality is, is that person may be sitting there not because they want to, but because their nervous system has convinced them to separate from the group, to not open their mouth. And in reality, they're actually suffering, but they literally cannot ask for help or have that conversation. And so that's a big, big part of my mission to kind of flip this term shy on his head, screw being shy, because it's a term that really stops a lot of people back. And it's almost, it's almost like a, um, I'm saying this very loosely, but it's almost like um, calling somebody like an alcoholic who's yeah. an alcoholic saying that they just like, they like drinking alcohol. You know, those are, these are two completely different things. And when you sort of make that acceptable for someone at a level where they may be labeled that, then it actually does not stop 
the problem, the issue from being managed and solved at an appropriate level. And it hurts a lot of people. I'm glad you asked. Yeah, ab- absolutely amazing. You know, sharing, you know, sharing that story. And also, you know, it's really that, that mask uh, that, that people are wearing, which is hiding what's underneath that. Uh, yeah. I'd love for you to share with the audience, if we could um, uh, just pause here for a second and, and give an audience a sense of, you know, this tremendous momentum that you've built up over many years, science mm. experiments, and you've gotten to states where now you can achieve kind of pinnacle states, amazing states. Maybe some people might describe it as flow states for, you know, for mm. a person. Uh, where in your life now that you've come through this phenomenal journey, you know, you, you've experimented, you have tremendous influences around you. Uh, you, mm. you interview amazing guests. So what are some of the states that you can now achieve? Um, and if you can share this with the audience, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, so... You know, it, it's super interesting, right? So I remember when I, and you know, before I say any of this, I just want to say that um, it's totally natural to be sad. It's totally natural to um, sometimes be tired, sometimes be worn out. But now knowing everything that I know now, it, it kind of goes back to what I said of like, we are really just science projects. And when you have... um networked with the people that I've networked with, like top biohackers in the world, high performers, you really do realize that you kind of have the controller in your hands, so to speak. And now, for example, if I have to hop on a meeting or if I have to do something, and let's say I'm not in a great state, I mean, it's very easy for me to shift into that state. Whether that is uh, with my breath, for example, whether that is through meditation, whether that is through just convincing myself, strategizing within my, between the logical and emotional parts of my brain, whether that is going for a walk, doing some kind of exercise, physical exercise or breathing exercise. um, It's really enabled me to to do that. And like, for example, um, when I was writing my book, getting into states of flow uh, were extremely, extremely important because, you know, like, for example, if I, and this really depends on the person, everyone has different triggers, but for example, I am someone who, if I want to write, if I want to be creative, it definitely has to get done in the earlier part of the day. That is sort of before the, the inner critic inside of my brain wakes up. Yep. Because if I try to do that stuff at night, like if I try to write at night, it's just not going to happen, you know? And so a part of it is just learning more about yourself. Part of it is learning how you sort of work. And some people may be the opposite. Some people may not really be able to do creative things in the morning. They may say that stuff for, for nighttime and vice versa. And, um, and, and actually in my book, um, I actually take some research from, uh, the Flow Genome Project, which was started by um, Stephen Kotler yep. and uh, Jamie Wheel, uh, who've been on my podcast twice, um, I take I talk about these nineteen different triggers that someone can use to get themselves in a state of flow. And the way that I actually put this up, and I don't know if it's why you're asking me this question, but the reason why I think it's so important is because, like, you know, it's one thing to like read a book. It's one thing to get the information. It's one thing to know something in your conscious mind. 
And it's an entirely different thing to actually do it. And in my book, when you talk about things like mental health and transformation, you're talking about someone's experience of life itself. You know, that's like the, the deepest to its core. And that can be extremely hard to change, even if you're reading the best book in the world. Yep. And so the way that I talk about flow is, it is this ultimate highway of learning. Because if you are not able to get into flow and you have a lot of um, potentially like these mental health issues, a massive part of your brain is stuck between the past and the future, usually due to psychological trauma that makes someone anxious or depressed. And the reality is, is if you're in that state, you're just not going to be able to effectively learn, right? Like I remember, for example, um, when I was growing up, I was a straight A student. But when I had my chapter of, uh, of, um, of racism and psychological trauma, all of a sudden my grades plummeted. All of a sudden I got yep. diagnosed with ADD and I couldn't focus in class anymore. It's not because I all of a sudden got dumber. It's because I literally could not focus. I literally could not learn. And so I kind of talk about in my book, flow, putting yourself in this present moment state as this ultimate highway of learning of like, hey, if you can do this, you can apply everything else in this book that I talk about way, way easier and kind of give you a bigger bang for your buck. So, yeah, yeah absolutely amazing. So it's it's really that, uh, you know, that learning over time. But now you've gotten to a stage uh, and understand I want to come back to your book in a, in a second, too. It's, it's really about learning how to get to that Uber state you know, as rapidly as possible when you need it. You don't need it all the time, uh, but uh, you, you have now the ability to turn it on versus in the past, in your past life, uh, you know, really, you weren't able to tap into that, uh, that area of yourself uh, on mm. demand, so to speak. Is that a safe way of saying it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's not like I, yeah, I mean, it's not like I just like randomly sat, you know, in my room and just made this stuff up. Um, yeah. And I'm grateful for that. Yeah. I remember, um, I remember two things that, uh, Two events in my life, uh, one of them happened last year. The other one happened uh, like the beginning of 2018 that uh, I call um, I call mystical states. Uh, hmm. One of them happened through meditation. The other one happened through um, this thing called uh, holotropic breathing. Essentially what happened was I remember I was meditating. It was, it was very random. I did not do like a specific meditation practice. I did not, like it wasn't any specific unique day. But I remember meditating. I remember maybe about 15, 17, 18, 19, 20 minutes in, all of a sudden it almost felt like my state of consciousness shifted to a point where it almost didn't feel like it was me in mm. the sense of, of course it was me, but it was almost a uh, an out-of-body experience where my consciousness shifted from just controlling Mark to all of a sudden, I sort of became the environment around me. And I remember when I experienced that, that put me in such a crazy, ecstatic state. And I remember just like Googling this frantically, what I was going through, because I thought I was like tripping balls or like, like my brain was about to shut down or something after and like telling all my friends about it. But eventually, that's that's what led me to a real, um, I think, spiritual understanding that I have today. The other one that I did with holotropic breathing, it was with um, this um, this uh, this teacher, uh, and uh, and and where I live in Boston, and it was by this doctor, 
And um, it's essentially this this pattern of breathing. And I'm, I'm no expert in this at all, but um, essentially what happened was through breath, maybe within like a very fast time, five, 10 minutes of following this breath, there was some music in the background. Um, all of a sudden, I, I f- probably felt a, a peak emotional state. And that completely changed my life because, you know, growing up, I had always told, I was always told to um, kind of be a man mm-hmm. and to ignore my emotions and to just be logical and to just be rational. And I think that that can have, you know, sort of it's it's right place, right time. But a lot of times when you live life like that, it completely separates the logical thinking part of your brain from the emotional feeling part of your brain. And when I did holotropic breathing, it almost felt like that is the first time where I was able to bridge both of these both of these worlds together. Yeah. Because there are both consequences to, you know, going back to what I said of just thinking logical or being too emotional and getting caught up in in fears and um and anxieties. And so when I was able to do that holotropic breathing, that really led me back to, quite frankly, my past of the times where I had ignored my emotions, the different times when I was a kid and I had nervous breakdowns and I had panic attacks that really shifted my nervous system. And so, uh, yeah, those two come to mind of like crazy peak uh, exper- uh, uh, moments, experiences that completely shifted my life. Mm, absolutely amazing. And so really, uh, you know, that, that journey of uh, you know, really hitting that rock bottom, you know, finding new strength with inside you, uh, mm. you know, plus the guidance. And then, uh, and then also a couple kind of key moments, which even shifted you further, allowed you to have kind of an expanded uh, field of view. Uh, absolutely mm. amazing story. Uh, I'd love to Thank find you. out uh, just a little bit about some of the things that you talk, uh, you do for happiness in your own life, well-being. It sounds like you're very in tune with uh, your body your biorhythms, you talked about rising early. Uh, what, are, mm. what are just a couple of things, maybe two or three things that uh, you found that really small things that, because uh, uh, a lot of us are looking for that big magic silver bullet, but it's really a combination of, of uh, those smaller things that you start adding that have those kind of cumulative effects. Uh, it sounds like yeah. bull- bulletproof coffee might be one of them. If, uh, uh, that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I, and I should also say that I actually, I actually don't drink bulletproof coffee anymore oh. today. Okay. Um, I find that I just, I don't really need it, to be honest with you. I have a lot of energy um, and um, and sometimes I drink coffee, sometimes I don't. But um, b- but for sure, if someone wants to experiment with Bulletproof Coffee, I definitely you know recommend at least trying it. Some other things that I would say are, um, if this is possible for you to do, depending on like what kind of climate you live in. I live in Boston where it could be quite cold, so sometimes it's not possible, but... If I can, uh, the first thing I try to do in the morning is just go for a walk. And oftentimes, you know, what I found about myself is that I have this pattern where I get way too anxious. And part of that is because my thoughts move way faster (laughs) than than life. And I find that, you know, honestly, like sometimes when I wake up in the morning, sometimes I have trouble meditating and just sitting still because of the rate of my thoughts. And so what I've found is having like this, uh, this physical output of just walking 
feeling the fresh air, mm-hmm. uh, not getting too much in my head, uh, feeling the sunlight for many different you know reasons um, is extremely, extremely helpful. And I often find that literally just going for like a 10 minute walk, a 15 minute walk, I usually come back and I feel much, much more balanced. Yeah. That's one. Another one that comes to mind is one of the things that I absolutely love uh, doing is having some form of creative expression. Because I often find that, you know, going back to these thoughts, sometimes they can come in so fast. Sometimes they can be too much for me to even realize what's happening. And I often find that having some sort of a creative expression, whether that is writing or creating something, is so, so important. And that that for me has taken on many different forms. So for me, it kind of started off by writing. You know, I'd write down my thoughts. Sometimes I'd write down like stories. Sometimes I would just try to write just just to really write, just to try to like empty out my noggin. Yep. Uh, the other the other thing that I do is um, I've recently gotten into to music. Music is extremely powerful for a wide variety of reasons. One, it kind of gives you this creative platform where you don't have to make logical sense a hundred percent of the time. You don't have to connect these things. And some for someone for me who I kind of feel like I have trouble connecting the logical versus the emotional part mm-hmm. of my brain at times, writing lyrics for different songs that I'm making can be extremely powerful. And then also music is one of the most powerful forces in the universe because believe it or not, music is actually very mathematical. There are certain beats within a bigger set of beats. There is a rhythm. There are certain seconds that come in. And the reason why that's important is because that can get you in a state of flow because mm-hmm. music plays on all four dimensions of, of reality. It's not just writing. It's not just a painting that you're looking at or drawing. It's not just, um, you know, you sort of walking outside. You also have to pay attention to the certain intervals and seconds within that beat for it to make musical sense. And so when you're doing that, almost always it gets me in a flow state. And then last but not least, something that I've been experimenting with, which is kind of like music and kind of like writing, is uh, is poetry. I have been just going in and trying to, again, write more emotionally to not necessarily uh, talk about the logical things in life, but to try to talk about the more... Uh, the, the realities. And sometimes what I found is sometimes I'm, it's hard for me to admit things to myself. But if I'm able to write them in a more creative way, one, that gets my brain really going. And number two, I'm, I'm, it's just another form of therapy. I'm much more able to express myself in a different sort of medium, in a different sort of format. Those are some of the things that I do that, that, that I think really, really help me. For sure. Yeah, absolutely amazing ideas. I, I love them all. Uh, I'd love to find out a little bit more about uh, you know the projects that you're working on. Um, obviously, you know, releasing a book. Uh, it's you know, there's an incredible amount of work that goes into it. So, uh, how can yeah. people find out more about your projects? And can you tell a little bit more about uh, your book? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, a good spot for people to check out what I've got going on is just my website which is my first and last name, .com, M-A-R-K-M-E-T-R-Y.com. Um, you know, I have my podcast, Humans 2.0. I've got my book, Screw Being Shy. People can check that out on uh, Amazon, uh, Barnes & Nobles. Uh, the audiobook should be coming out sooner or later. Um, 
I, uh, this summer I'm going to be on an Amazon Prime documentary series called The Social Movement. Um, and I, you know, I do a lot of other things too. I advise some startups. Uh, I sit on the board of some nonprofits. And, you know, really everything for me kind of goes back to how can I help people live a life where they have some sense of freedom when it comes to their mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual world. Um, and so whether that's a book, uh, a, a podcast, a song, a book, um, a, a film, that is really what I'm going to be focusing on for the rest of my life through different mediums, through different formats, different stories that I can tell so I can hit different groups of people, different demographics, different psychographics. And um, and yeah, that's a good spot. Screw being shy. Check it out anywhere you buy books. And uh, John, I, I appreciate this. This is awesome. Yeah. And so in terms of a single thread, you know, really your, your book, it, um, you know, you talked about your, your childhood and enabling people to move through those stages rather than taking years, decades to, to go through it. You really, your, your core focus, if I could distill it down, is really helping people through that path so they can reach their higher potential. Um, yeah. How would you describe it in your own words? But uh, that's kind of the way, that's what I'm hearing from you. Yeah. I mean, I, I think personally for me, it goes back to the name of my podcast, Humans 2.0. It's the sense of if you're a human, whether that could be an accountant, a CEO, a student, uh, a janitor, uh, a billionaire, uh, a drug dealer, we all have the capacity to improve incrementally in these different parts of our lives. And the way that I look at it is, um, you know, I come from a tech background originally, and I really view us kind of like software in the sense of, when a software is first created, you know, that's version 1.0. Mm. And then if, you know, we all kind of work on it, different developers, different software kits, then maybe we can create an updated version 2.0. And the way that I view version 1.0 is like, that is the, the default version of life. That is sort of the, the default consciousness that we are all born with. That is usually very survival-based, uh, animalistic, has to do with uh, a lot of our survival needs and just surviving, really. And version 2.0 is the spot where you can get to where you say, you know, hey, I, I see my problems. I see my flaws. I see the issues that I run into. But I'm going to make a conscious decision to try to improve those, to set an intention to upgrade in every single one of areas of my life, depending on what I think I need to work on the most. And so that's the way that I view. It. And I also view that in terms of like just overall humanity. You know, I think if you look at different things in our society and our culture that were accepted, like for example, you go to, even if you go to like the last century in like 1940, you know, you're talking about governments dropping nukes on civilian cities. You know, you're, you're talking about a completely different way of thinking. And I believe that that is going to happen at an individual level and also at a large scale level where, you know, whether it's 40 years from now or 50 years from now, we're going to look back at, you know, maybe this era, maybe like 10, 20 years before it, we're going to be like, oh my God, how do we, how do we do those things? That's not even human. And so I kind of view it in both of those senses of kind of an individualistic sense and then also in a bigger 
societal system kind of sense as well. And I'm definitely trying to play some some role in that or at least uh, connect myself with leaders that are going to be doing that and can impact the world from different industries to different sectors to different kinds of people, different countries. And so that's part of definitely what I'm doing with my podcast and, and definitely the, the message that I'm bringing to of life. Mark, thank you tremendously. You know, thank you for your book, your remarkable podcast, your speaking engagements and all the happiness oxygen that you bring to the world. Uh, tremendous thank you to all the listeners. And as always, this is your host, John Tuckums. You have made it to the end of the podcast. It's your host, John Tuckums. I want to take this moment to sincerely thank you. I'm incredibly grateful for the time you're taking to invest in your life. And if you gain something valuable from this episode and want to give me value somehow, I would tremendously appreciate if you went to Apple Podcasts, iTunes. If you have an Apple product where you listen to this podcast and leave this show a review, you are free to send me a message or email. Contact information is in the description below. Thank you again for listening and thank you for your contributions in helping billions of people to find their happiness oxygen.